to the Extraordinary Moms podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way, and we should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 313 of the podcast. It's Jessica, and I hope you are doing well. Today is the last episode in July, and I wanted to let you know I am taking a break for the month of August. I will be re-airing some past episodes that I think are buried in the archives and definitely worth a listen or a re-listen. I know we have lots of new people here, so definitely don't be sad if you say this. If you see that this is a re-air, it is worth your time if I reprise the episode. Today, my guest is Amy Ulrich. She is an author of the book, The Six Needs of Every Child, Empowering Parents and Kids Through the Science of Connection. And she has spent her entire professional life working with organizations to build social movements grounded in the ethic of love. And she and her husband run growingconnected.com, where they offer scientifically grounded and faith-informed resources and support for parents based around these six needs of children. So if the book, The Five Love Languages of Children, appeals to you and that type of premise is in your wheelhouse, these six needs will also really speak to your heart. I learned so much about what her research was based upon, and we talk a lot about resilience in our kids and addressing these needs, especially in the time we're in with the quarantine and the pandemic and school not being normal, socialization not being normal. We need to help our kids the best we can, support them the best we can. And I know that by addressing these core needs that they have, we'll be able to do that in a much more successful way. So I'm excited for you to meet Amy today. Let's get to my interview with Amy Ulrich. All right. I'm so excited to be chatting with Amy Ulrich this morning. Hi, Amy. Hi there. It's so good to be with you. It's so good to be chatting with you too. Where am I speaking to you from today? So I actually live in Hamilton, New Zealand. So we're connecting from afar. But again, very good to be with you. Yay, that's awesome. Well, when I saw that you were in New Zealand before we had spoken, I thought, am I going to get an accent out of this interview? <laughs> and to say that I'm a little disappointed, Amy, I don't know. I, it would be so much cooler if I had an accent, but trust me, you don't want to try. I, I, sh- I try an accent sometimes and my boys are mortified. <laughs> are you sure? Are you sure? This might be your opportunity to just fake it for half an hour. <laughs> You've got to trust me on this one. Take the wisdom from my sons. No. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Well, that's okay. I still like you, and we're still going to have a great conversation, even without the accent. But, uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to chat with you because, especially with summer approaching, I know that I always have increased goals of connecting with my kids and really having this be kind of a reset for the family. And, I mean, oddly, we've had this reset unintentionally with the quarantine and whatnot. And so we've kind of had months and months of this and it feels like summer should be done, but we're just getting started. But we're going to talk about connection and, you know, the power of that. And you've done lots of research on this and you educate others on this. And so, and I'm also curious to hear about your own motherhood journey. So for people that don't know you yet, Amy, will you just give a little background on yourself and your family? Sure. I'm happy to. So I am a mother of three. Uh, boys. My my oldest is 16, and then my second son is 14, and my youngest is 9. Uh, my husband is a child psychologist, and I'm an author. 
And we have worked together to write a book called The Six Needs of Every Child, Empowering Parents and Kids Through the Science of Connection. And we wanted to write this book together because um, I had kind of given up on parenting books, to be honest, uh, because I often felt so judged and um, as if when I was reading them, I just felt like, oh my goodness, I'm doing so many things wrong. (laughs) But I didn't, I loved the conversations that I'd have with my husband about child development and the way that brains worked. And I never felt that way as we entered into these conversations. So we wanted to write something a little bit different. Not that there's not a lot of really wonderful things that come out of parenting books in general, but we wanted to do something a little different where he shared the science and then I shared stories about what motherhood really feels like to me. Mm. And, um, and some really, I hope, um, hopeful information just about how so much of so much of our kids' parenting journey and our parenting comes down can come down to a relationship that we have with one another, and really entering into those relationships and connecting like you're talking about, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard, um, over time is what really helps grow our kids to growth. I could not agree more. And what I have seen, I have three boys as well, and. What I've really seen with them is so much about what you see on the outside and their behavior and their responses and things are not truly indicative of what's going on underneath the surface. And so if, if we respond and parent and discipline according to just what we see, sometimes we're just missing the mark. And that's when a wedge can really be driven between parents and their children when kids don't feel safe, they don't feel heard, they don't feel validated, and they may even not understand why that is because they cannot always articulate, you know, their insecurities or their vulnerabilities or feeling fear when really it's coming out as rage, right? And so have you seen that as well? Oh my goodness. It's really fascinating. Um, How we as adults, and I just have compassion for us because, again, being a parent is really hard, but our kids will say things and then we'll react to them as if what they're saying is what they mean, but they Mm -hmm. don't have the vocabulary, they don't have the capacity to explain, and so it's really changing my mindset from, okay, what this child is presenting to me is what is, and then I have to discipline or respond or do whatever. It's about getting curious, okay, what's going on? He is articulating a big feeling, and what, what, whatever that feeling is, I hate you, I hate my brother, hitting, um, mm-hmm. crying, what is this big feeling, um, and then what is behind it? Because so often there is something very important that is happening within these little people that if we get curious and start to, to embrace tools that can help us kind of go on this journey of connection with them, um, it really can help grow them and help them understand themselves, which is ultimately the goal, that we would grow these children into adults who, um, who have a, a real self-knowledge and a curiosity to engage with other people and, and know them as well. That really is our ultimate hope, right? And it can feel like such an incubator in these toddler and young childhood years when it feels like they're not hearing us, they're not changing, they're not responding. Are they ever going to comply or behave or whatever? I mean, we've all been there, right? We've all been there. And so it is neat as your kids grow up. And now you have a 16-year-old. So I, I bet you're beginning to see they've heard you. They really have. And they're starting to respond and take ownership of those things. And are they still going to make mistakes? 
Yes. But like when they have the tools to get through those mistakes that they make, that's the parenting win. Yeah. And, and I want to say, I mean, I know that there are some people who just love those early, those early years with the kiddos. And there are so many beautiful moments that I would never change. Um, but I just find these later teen years, these older mom parenting years, so beautiful. So I just want to encourage everyone who might be feeling in the trenches, um, that there is beauty and, you know, embrace it where you can find it. It's also so hard. Yeah. <laughs> just the, the physicality of it, the nonstop and something about being en- able in, to enter into conversations with my older kids and just, like you said, see that they've heard, hear how they're thinking about the world, um, watch them really start to engage in complex ways, tell super funny jokes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's just so many things that I find delightful. Um, and so much of it is about just having grace for yourself and your kids as you walk through those long, long days of the early parenting years. Yes. And what I've been thinking about so much is acknowledging our kids as teachers for us. Like our role as a parent is not just to dictate their lives and grow these humans. There is a tremendous refining that happens as a parent. And when we can give our kids credit for being that vessel to teach us and to you know, kind of strip away the selfishness, the increase, the self-awareness, um, the humility, you know, all of those things, we can have an additional layer of respect for them as well, even if they still are challenging for us. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's having, it's another little mirror in your life. My husband and I have often talked about marriage is like a mirror that sometimes you want to put, you want to put away for a while. You don't actually want to see what you look like today. But I find that kids are, are like that too. And, and Enneagram has been a tool that's been important to me that I really love. And um, we actually were able to engage in a conversation about the compass that we present in our book along with the Enneagram and how that can, and that can help in understanding. But I found I had this moment with um, one of my boys and he reflected back to me, Mom, you're always so worried about whether or not you've hurt someone. It's okay something about I'm fine it's okay and I found it such a moment that if even my even if my child who's probably eight at the time when he said that is reflecting back to me, mom you don't need to be so worried about other people's feelings I thought this is so fascinating to learn and grow through this relationship with my kid so and that's just one moment of so many slices that we have in our lives with with these people that we get to go that we get to go through life with Oh, it's, it's such a treasure. It's such a joy. I've never really talked about the Enneagram on here, but I am very interested in it and have done some research on it myself. Um, but I'm curious cause I've never really thought about it in terms of children, because if you're not familiar and you're listening, the Enneagram is based upon like your, your, what key motivations or, you know, what's, what's really driving you internally. So it's not even always how it's reflected externally in your life because our external behavior, like we just said, is terribly skewed by circumstances and, uh, you know, people around us and things like that. And so we kind of adapt to that, but what is it that really drives us within us? And so how do you kind of hone in on your kids Enneagram to really understand their motivations 
like, are they more pure and, and are their lives more reflective of that inward? And we kind of get away from that as we're older. What do you think? Well, it's interesting because you're you're actually not supposed to try to type your kids. Okay, um, yes. Uh-huh. And give them space to, to really grow into themselves and not be thinking about them in that way. But where I found the Enneagram so helpful is to understand myself. Okay. And I think that that's what this journey of being a mom is so important. We, we learn so much. So much of the frame that we have learned about parenting um, is this frame of what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what should we do with them? You know, they're having this issue, and then how do we solve the problem? And then if we try to, we try that solution that's presented by someone, and if it doesn't work, we either feel like a failure ourselves, or we feel like maybe our kid is a failure. Mm-hmm. Or if we see other kids doing things that our kids don't do, we start to doubt ourselves or them. And our kids can see that in our faces. They can see our responses to them. They can start to feel internalize that. So if we start to get more curious about how shall I be with this person so we stop asking what should I do and we start asking how shall I be then that's a that's a two-way street question that that help that I realize I need to figure out who this person is and then I need to figure out who I am because so much of the way we respond to our kids has to do with the way that we were wired when we ourselves were children and has to do with our earliest attachment relationships that we had with our own parents And there's a dance that goes on back and forth. And sometimes even the things that you don't want to do or that you don't want to be, because um, our own kids can trigger us, we end up entering into the same dance. And until we start to learn more about ourselves, those steps are largely unconscious. Hmm. But one, I mean, the most wonderful and exciting thing for me is that, oh, now I can recognize this in myself then I can start to change the steps that don't work and really embrace the steps that I'm so proud to know. And so I think that the the Enneagram has been helpful for me to understand myself in that way. And again, I think really entering into the six needs and and starting to understand the science of attachment um, has helped me to say, oh, I can see that I am a um, I'm such a supporter. I want to, that, that's a, that can be such a good thing, but sometimes I push too hard because I really care about achievement. So mm-hmm. I need to back off in comfort or I need to back off and delight my child in, mm-hmm. in my child. Fascinating. That is so fascinating. So that segues perfectly into the six needs of every child, empowering parents and kids through the science of connection. And that is your new book. So what are the six needs of every child? <laughs> okay. So the six needs. So children are born, all of us human beings, and it's important. So whenever I talk about the need to know that this is a need that you have as well as I have and our kids have. So all of us are born with these two instincts. And there's an instinct that we have to go out and explore the world, make it our own. And that we ha- and we really have three needs that help us to, to do that exploration well. We need to feel our parents' delight um, in just who we are. We need to feel our parents' support, um, so both what, supporting what we're interested in and support to just master the things that we have to know to make it in the world, mm-hmm. and then boundaries. Um, yes, we want to go and explore. Yes, we want to do all these things that, that seem so fun and wonderful, but there, there do have to be boundaries in our lives. And then there's this other instinct, and it's the instinct to come back and find refuge in our caregivers, in our parents, when things are hard, as things are inevitably hard in this world, we will run into trouble. Um, and so to come back and really find the refuge you need to recover and regroup enough to go back and explore in the world, you need protection and then you need comfort and equipping. 
Um, so protection to just, are you safe um, from real danger? Comfort to, I see your suffering. Uh, I, I just, to, to take the time to see the pain that's there, even if it's hard for us or even feels um, unrealistic, but just to be present with our child in their pain. And again, that's a human need. We all need mm-hmm. someone to be present with us in our pain. And then after that, when the emotions have, have calmed down a bit, then there's the chance to enter into equipping. What just happened there? What could we do different if it happened again? Are we safe enough to go out into the world and begin our exploration once again? Oh, my gosh. So where did these come from? Like, how did you guys nail down these six? Okay, so my husband is, again, a child psychologist, and his focus of research is um, is attachment research. Mm-hmm. And he was at the University of Virginia getting his PhD, and he was doing, he entered into this study of high-needs adoptive um, families in the UK, and kids who had been adopted from Romania. And so attachment research had uncovered that there is a very particular bond between parents and children. Um, And that bond really determines the ways that children um, engage and interact with the world, whether or not they're, um, how they feel, how successful they're able to go out and explore, and then how successful they are to be able to come back and seek refuge. And there are different attachment types. And, um, but it had not, the the group that, that Jeffrey was working with was trying to determine if there were particular ways that parents could enter into relationships with their children that helped their kids do those things well. So again, it had been um, it had been determined that there are these ways that kids act that help determine their long-term security, but it had not been determined whether or not there are ways that parents could act or change their behaviors that would actually help their children develop health and resiliency. Wow. So Jeffrey was one on, on teams of people who were determining this with his dissertation, coding all of these tapes. And, um, and then the, the work that he did, he ended up working with the Mary Ainsworth Attachment Clinic in Virginia um, and working with really high-risk families there, especially foster families and adoptive families, trying to help parents just implement these steps. Okay, if my child is struggling, they've been through so much trauma, so much pain, um, these are the things, these are the particular things that I can do to help them. Mm-hmm. But he went from there to start uh, working in private practice, and he found that just regular families, um, even kids who haven't experienced really high risk or, or really, really heartbreaking things, are still struggling, right? We still, we still struggle. We still have all these questions, and all of our, um, all of us parents just have this longing to know how do I help my child. So he realized in these years of working as a therapist um, that if he turned it into a language of needs, again, rather than what do I do, Hmm. getting parents to ask what does my child need, and then building on this this attachment research about how do we go out and how do we come back, because that is what really is a marker that points humanity to health, (laughs) that research of um, brain science and development have found over the last decades, Um, that it's just an easier concept to embrace. Okay, right now my child needs... um, my child needs delight. Right now, my child needs protection. It's just an easier thing for us to sometimes have almost a limited number of, of concepts and directions to turn to when we feel stuck. Wow. That is like an incredible amount of research, such a complex issue to address, and to be able to boil it down to these very doable six things to address and then very actionable 
everyday type things that you can implement with your children, regardless of whether they've had trauma or even the most severe of trauma. I mean, it's just, it's so empowering. And it just really makes me think, I mean, kids come with, you know, wired certain ways and have different needs and well, according to you, six, but you know what I mean? Like they have their special <laughs> needs and, and just, right. they're, they're just all so different. And right. I love this quote on your website. It says, we believe it's time to put aside our worries of whether or not parenting is something we're doing well and ask ourselves the better question. And this is what you said before, how shall I be with this person? And so it really right. doesn't come down to how many good parenting books you can read and how many strategies you could implement. It really comes down to what does this child need from me as a human? And if you feel in, ill-equipped, it's time to get equipped and feel more whole yourself, kind of like your reliance on the Enneagram to kind of know those things about yourself, right? You can show right. up better that way when you feel more whole. But it's not about being a good parent equals good kids. No, no, no. Yeah. And, and what this is the most breathtakingly hopeful and exciting thing. If there's one thing to hear, one thing that's helped me, and I have found it to be true, it is actually in the breaking and the coming back together mm. that our children grow. It is the most terrible moments that we make it through and say, I'm still here on the other side. And yes, that was super hard. Oh, I shouldn't have acted that way. Oh, you shouldn't have acted that way. Whatever it is, things that feel hopeless, things that feel miserable, things we never expected to us, what happened to us or our kids, if we can keep pushing through and keep picturing this circle and keep understanding um, that this is a journey that we're on with our kiddos that will last a lifetime. And it's a journey that's going to have some unexpected, sometimes heartbreaking things. But if we keep staying there in the middle of it with them, it could be a super beautiful story. It really can. And that is full of such, such hope. I think where some of us get hung up, myself included, is we want the repair to happen on a certain timeline. Right. So for little kids, it's like you want the tantrum to end in a reasonable amount of time when you think it should end. You want the apology to come when you think it should come. You want the behavior to change when you think it should change. And sometimes you just, and all the time, really, you have no control over that actual timeline. And so how would you say you kind of reconcile that as the adult in this equation, as you're helping in helping others to equip themselves and do that repair work? Right. Well, this was something, it was, it was interesting when we were writing the book because we were going through a period with one of my boys um, where I was just starting to, I was getting frustrated about some things and uh, I think it was showing in the way that I was, that I was treating him. I was really puzzled about some of his decisions. And so some of the research um, was so helpful to me and really I don't use this word lightly, really transformed our relationship. Mm -hmm. And it was this concept of growth trust versus growth distrust. Mm -hmm. And uh, what it is, is there's a scientific term called organism, organismic trust. And it's this understanding that all, all, all life, but all of us humans actually want to grow and do well. Like we are actually born and put on this earth <laughs> to, to make a life for ourselves. Um, and that it, and sometimes if you look at people, even people who have had really, really terrible um, experiences, like most people end up at least getting by on their own. 
Mm-hmm. Right. But sometimes we can look at our kiddos, especially, I'm going to be honest, our teenagers. And like, it seems really doubtful that they're ever going to make it to that place. Right. And so we can enter and we can embrace uh, instead of a growth trust mindset that, oh, this is something that it could take a while, mm. but we're going to get through it. My child is not a failure. My child is not lazy. My child is not a liar. Whatever it is that we want to go to our places in our heads often things that we were labeled ourselves, to be honest. Again, that's just knowing. So instead of embracing this um, this negative view, which is what in the book we call growth distrust, like that if I don't ride this child, if I don't push this child, they're going to be in this place forever. If we could instead embrace a growth trust mindset, which is that this is, this is a period and we don't know how long, but if I just continue to walk um, consider my own actions, consider the way that I am engaging with this person. If, if I commit day in and day out to be present and believe that, again, this particular difficult moment, whether it be a hard week, a hard month, a hard year, sometimes more with our kids, we're just going to keep walking it out faithfully together, then what I have seen over time is growth trust really does play out in shocking ways. Like, oh, I didn't look at you making eye contact and conversation with grownups. Wow. You know, (laughs) these things, but it's not overnight. And I think we've been sold a story. And I use that word. I use that word very particularly because I do think that there's a business of parenting that wants to tell us that there are particular easy things that we can do that are going to be magic fixes. Mm -hmm. And that's not how relationships work. We can get tips and there is wisdom and I'm not trying to knock that. I'm just saying that life is a long life and the beauty of relationships is that they grow and change over time. 100%. I could not agree more. And it makes me think of the risk and damage that labels can put on our kids because that really is the distrust part, right? When we say, oh, well, they're just this way. They were born this way. And even when we're not trying to, whether we speak it out loud or whether we're thinking it, our behavior starts to reflect that and our connection starts to reflect what we really believe about our kids. And so what you're saying about if you just trust that they can be anything, they can work through anything, they can gain any skill and you know overcome any challenge, when you actually believe that and trust in that process, no matter how long it takes, that's much different than they're lazy. That's how they were born. They don't listen. That's just how they've always been that way. That's that's how they are, right? Well, and I think a question that Jeffrey will often ask in uh, in the therapy office with his clients and to me <laughs> when I am struggling, the question is, what are you scared of? What are you scared of? And so often with me, I have I come from a background with um, a difficult family history. And there is a fear that that story will be true for my boys. Mm-hmm. The way that people, a story that has been very difficult in my, in, with people that I love, that they might tell that story that my kids would enter into addictions or my kids would enter, you know, there would be these very difficult, painful things um, that have been the story of people that I love in my family. I have embraced that fear for my boys. And so I think that question, what are you scared of, invites me to say, is that really true? Am I reacting to fear or am I reacting to what's actually true about what's right in front of me? And it's been surprising to me 
to realize how much of my reactions to my kids are about fear rather than who they actually are. Wow, that is such an important awareness to have. And that, yeah, can be absolutely transformative. I can see how that would be true in your family. So you're saying the six needs of every child. Does every child have all six of these needs? Or is it kind of like the love languages where they're more responsive to certain ones than others? That's a great question. So all of us are born with all of these needs. Okay. And we've arranged, in the book, we've arranged the needs like a compass. Okay. Um, so we have the, the, the half that, that's going out and exploring and the half that, that's coming back in to find refuge. And then the pointer on the compass um, is divided into two, um, with one half is you and one half is your child. And your, I hope, I found this in myself, that once you start to feel that feeling of connection, once you start to understand, oh, this is the need that we need to meet right now, you can feel the connection between you and your kids because there's often a feeling of disconnection. Mm -hmm. So let me try to explain this. Let's say that you have a child who is um, throwing an absolute fit Mm -hmm. and it just, you know, meltdown screaming on the floor. Let's say you grew up in a home where screaming meltdowns were not okay. All right, shut that down. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. there's going to be punishment. There's going to be fear. There's going to be all kinds of negative things when you were a child reverberating through your house if there was such a loud display of emotions. Well, it's pretty um, likely if that was the case for you that your pointer is going to swing hard and fast to boundaries. You're Mm. just going to be like, again, shut it down. Like it was shut down for you and you shut it down. Well, your child's pointer, your kiddo, it's what you were talking about in the beginning of, of our conversation, your child might have experienced something super hard at school that day that you would have no idea about. So right now, if there is a, you know, a, a meltdown on the floor because they can't have their particular cereal that they want, instead of like shutting it down, go to your room, no more screaming, even just sitting quietly on the floor and saying, I found this with one of my kids, I'm here. When you're ready to talk and be more calm, I'm here to talk with you. That's a, that's a form of comfort. But it's something that I wouldn't have known if I hadn't thought, okay, whatever's happening right now, everything feels out of control. And because of the way that boundaries were presented when I was a kid, I want to shut it down so my insides feel all jangled. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can picture the compass and I can say, all right, well, there are some other needs I could try. And I think his level of upset is more than a, about a bowl of cereal. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to try to sit here and, and it was amazing with this particular, with one of our boys, he would just, he would scream himself out and then he would crumble and he would, and he would just crawl over to my lap mm. and we would finally be able to figure out what it was that was going on. And I would feel that connection and it would be like, I'm just so grateful to have known another, another way to turn. Okay. We had an incident over who was sitting where in the car. And it seems to me as a grown adult, like a very inconsequential choice. You pick a seat, you put your seatbelt on, we're going home. (laughs) Like we're tired. Let's, let's move this thing along. And so the fact that this was causing a kerfuffle in the back seat blew my mind as an adult. Couldn't, I didn't, I didn't even want to give them any type of empathy for (laughs) the seating. Of course, because it's exhausting. It's exhausting. (laughs) It was not about the seat. And I, and I knew that, right? My son had just lost a soccer game. He was feeling fragile and vulnerable and it manifested as the seat, right? And so my adult brain is saying, this is ridiculous. Put your seatbelt on. We're going. But I knew it wasn't about that. And so 
we were able to to stop in that moment. Sometimes I'm like I'm, I legitimately am like put on the car in the seat, right? But in this moment, I'm just like it's not about that. And so I was able to do that. But what I think is so fascinating is sometimes we think you know just sitting with the child or waiting with them through that emotion. Sometimes I get so frustrated that it doesn't feel like it's changing the dial at all. Right. It's kind of like the cup. I mean, the the compass thing is such an interesting visual because it's like, okay, this is what I'm doing is not working. I feel like I'm trying to meet their needs, but it's not working and it's continuing and it's escalating. And then you feel like you have to result resort to the old ways because whatever you are really trying to do as a quote unquote good parent is not working. So I love that you're, that you're saying like, if one need, like addressing that one need isn't working, you have other ones to go to. So maybe it's right. distracting them for a time. Maybe it's, you know, I don't know, what what else could, could you do? But I love that idea of maybe just sitting with them or making that physical contact. It's not what they need. You know, it could be something else because they do have other needs other than just what you think they need. Right, and I think... Um... So the compass, the, the, the compass starts off when we start talking about each of the needs, starting with delight, because I think it's, um, it's really the basis for all of our kids' growth and development is really um, feeling that who they are <laughs> is lovable. Not what mm-hmm. they do, um, not what they might accomplish, but who they actually are um, is, really, uh, is really wonderful to you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we might not feel that. Um, Honestly, sometimes kids have, have different issues or they struggle or their personalities are different. So even just finding a few minutes a day, when, when one of my kids was going through a hard time, I realized that when we, he was waking up in the morning, we would it would be a really delightful time. So I could just lie next to him and we would chat for 10 minutes and the rest of the day could be hard. Um, but that particular time became our time. Mm-hmm. And Jeffrey's mentor called it filling up their, um, their little love their love tanks or their love batteries, mm-hmm. charging their batteries. Um, and so a lot of times a child who's having so many meltdowns throughout the day that just don't seem to be getting better may actually just need in the moments of quiet when they're not having meltdowns, they may just need your delight poured into them mm-hmm. um, because they're just really sensing. They, our kids actually need to be able to feel that so that they can engage with the world successfully. There's a physical need as they grow to feel from us. Yes. And I want to give the listener some credit because chances are you're already doing some of these things naturally because most of us try really hard to genuinely be a good parent. And so while it may feel overwhelming as a parent to feel like you need to add more things to your day and you need to address more needs and you need to carve out more time and all these things. No, no, no. Like think of like scan your day. And really be aware for a few days in a row of, you know, what are what are the routines you have in place that are recharging your kids' batteries? It could be that 10 minutes in the morning. It could be the nighttime routine where you're chatting with your child. It could be the car rides that are really meaningful. It could be, but there's things you're already doing that are working. And just be aware that you want to keep doing those things, but it doesn't need to feel like like a box you have to check either. It could just be an enjoyable, delightful, I love that word, part of your day. <laughs> and then if there's subpar things that you feel like need to be addressed in other areas where their needs are not being met, 
then you need to, you know, carve out those times and be more intentional. But sometimes it's the unintentional things that we're naturally doing that come just because we love our kids so much and you're doing a great job. That's right. I mean, if there's anything to take away, I can say anything. And that's why I wanted to write the book with Jeffrey, that it's mm-hmm. not just like, here's a checklist of things to do. It's this is what it feels like for me to be. Yes. And sometimes it feels wonderful. And sometimes it feels so hard and that's just real. And I, my, I hope, I don't think that parents, one thing that has really helped me to know is I don't think that we realize how much of the, the hardness of our days is often because of these battles that we have back and forth because of a lack of connection. So just taking these few minutes to do the things that you actually really want to do and actually make you feel, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, having a moment of connection with my kids feels like the whole world to me. Mm. I mean, when you have those beautiful moments with your kids, I feel like this is what I was meant to be and meant to do. And that doesn't, they're not, you know, it's not hours of enjoying each other's company sometimes. Sometimes it's just looking at each other and sharing a joke or laughing. Mm-hmm. But making space in our lives and figuring out how to understand ourselves and our kids well enough to open up room for those moments, mm-hmm. I have found it to really, again, um, tra- be transformative for me and my kids. Yeah, and I'm sure you're the same way. Like, I don't have time for fluffy parenting books. Like, there's no. Just, no, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for feel good, you know, rah, rah, shish, goomba. Like you're, you're doing a great job. Like I, I want those conversations with my friends, but I don't have time to read a book about that. And what I love, excuse me. What I love is the pairing of you and your husband. He comes at it from such a clinical perspective, providing the data, the research, the, the foundation for why these things work. And then you bring in the anecdotes and the stuff that proves the value of knowing why you're doing the things you're doing in your home and, and what can be done better. And so I think that pairing works so well. And sometimes the research-based and clinical side, it feels too heavy and kind of like, oh, like, but what does that actually look like? And so I think it's so, so smart, this approach. So I hope everyone will check out your book. Tell everybody where they can find it. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So if you go to the six needs.com, um, you'll be able to find more about the book and links to buy. And then we are on social at growing connected, growing connected. Perfect. This has been so great, Amy. I always ask my guests one final question and it's this, what would you tell your pre motherhood self? Mm, what would I tell my pre motherhood self? You know, it's the same thing that I tell my non motherhood <laughs> self. And it's that, um, that Julia Nor- of Norwich quote, all will be well. Mm. Um, all will be well, all will be well, all manner of things will be well. And that doesn't mean that it won't be hard. (laughs) And that doesn't mean that there won't be pain. But I honestly believe that when all is said and done, and often even in the middle, (laughs) all will be well. Yeah. My favorite hymn is, it is well with my soul. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, no matter what, when you can, like, come back to that core belief And that trust, like you said, instead of that distrust, that there are good things ahead and it is about this journey, like there's no greater reassurance than that for sure. Well, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for sharing this. I can't wait to dive into your book and I hope everyone will check that as well. But I glossed over the fact that you're in New Zealand. You don't have an accent. How did you end up there? I just need to know that last thing. (laughs) 
So we lived um, all over. So we lived in Virginia, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. and we moved down to Florida. And then um, when my oldest was, I believe, 13, we had an opportunity. There was a, a, a man who had been part uh, who'd been part of the practice where Jeffrey worked had moved to New Zealand. And there was an opportunity for Jeffrey to take a job here. And we just really, we'd always dreamed of moving overseas and living overseas with the boys. And we thought, well, if we didn't go then, before Josh started high school, it would be harder for them to make a transition. Um, and so we just, we'd never, uh, we'd never even traveled here. <laughs> we just thought, well, let's just do it. Let's try it. And I'm really glad that we did. This is a beautiful country to be in. Amazing. How long have you lived there? Three years now. Wow. And how long do you expect to be there? You know, uh, we don't know. Okay. We find life to be surprising. <laughs> wow. We're surprised we're here. We don't know how long we'll be here, but we really do love it. We um, Jeffrey loves his work. He works with um, a lot of rural communities um, and in the city as well here, and we're just grateful to be here for now. That's really cool. That's really awesome. Love it. Okay, well, thanks for that because I was super curious. We moved on too quick to, like, things of greater depth, so we had, we had to bring it back. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. Good luck to you and your family. And I hope everyone picks up your book, The Six Needs. Well, thank you so much. Love talking with you. I hope this episode came at the perfect time for you. I know it did for me, and I am going to not only pick up this book, The Six Needs, but also I'm going to implement. This is not a fluffy parenting book. This is a manual for really how our kids are wired and how really we're all wired. We all have these needs that need addressing, and the more that we can have those needs met on a regular basis, the more we're able to express ourselves and perform at the highest level. And that's what we want for all of us, right? Including our kids, especially when we're home together 24-7. Am I right? So pick up that book. Everything's linked at extraordinarymomspodcast.com. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at jessicadalkwith3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm so grateful you're here. I am going to miss you next month, but you can trust, make sure you're subscribed, that I will be reprising episodes that are worth your time. Have a great month, everybody, and we will see you in September for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.